pray all is well with you tonight. Amen. Let's turn back again to Romans chapter 12, that very familiar passage that we all know well. We began this Sunday morning by speaking from Philippians 1. That Christ be magnified in my body, whether by life or by death, for to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. That's true worship. Amen? And then we move to the nature of worship, John chapter 4, in that familiar passage. And then last night, we began to speak about verse 1. So let's read it again. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service, or better, as we heard last night, your spiritual service of worship. I've been seeking to declare to you that God is calling His people back to that for which we were recreated to be true and spiritual worshipers. Amen? Because this great salvation is really, it's primarily not about you. And it's not about me. It's all about God the Father giving a bride to God the Son which is being gathered in by God the Holy Spirit so that we, part of that bride, might be purposeful and passionate worshipers of the Lord. And when the people of God give themselves to this New Testament consecration sacrifice, of worship, we can be certain that God will accomplish far more of eternal value and spiritual significance than what we're accomplishing at this present time. Because these works will flow out of authentic worship. When we worship Him, we learn how to walk with Him and work with Him and reproduce fruit for Him. And that will be gold, silver, and precious stone one day because it will have the stamp of eternity on it. Amen? When the prophet Isaiah was given that encounter with the pre-incarnate glory of the Lord Jesus, he beheld those seraphim above the throne. And each one of those burning, flaming angels had six wings. With two, they covered their face. With two, they covered their feet. And with two, they flew. Have you ever thought about the fact that four of those wings were designated for worship? Two of them were designated for service. Four of them were fixed on the adoration of the one who's holy, holy, holy. Two of them were involved in activity for the one who is holy, holy, holy. That's a vital lesson for us because we'll serve most effectively when we are worshiping most passionately. Our adoration for Jesus should precede our activity for Jesus. We must first 
worship Him. And listen, if you're sitting here tonight and you've truly repented and believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, it is to radically affect the manner in which we live our lives in this mortal body. Because biblical Christianity is not just a, a way of teaching. It's not just a way of filling our head with intellectual information about the Bible. It's a way of living for the glory of God. There must be an intimate connection between our beliefs and our behavior. Our doctrine and our duty. And so if we truly understand the theology of the first 11 chapters of the epistle to the church at Rome, it should radically affect the way we live our lives in accordance with verse 1. Amen? I remind you again of the verse that he just concluded with. There's no chapters in Paul's original uh, letter. He, he concludes by saying uh, there, uh, For of him and through him or to him are all things to whom be glory forever. And he immediately says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God that you present your body. So last night we spoke about the call to worship. Then we spoke about the catalyst for true and acceptable worship. And what was? The mercies of God. And that brings us tonight to the characteristics of authentic and acceptable worship. Very familiar passage. I pray the Lord would revive our minds to live out what we're reading and studying tonight. Amen? He says that you present your bodies. In light of this marvelous mercy of God, we are to make a complete surrender of our body to the Lord. In other words, we are to personally respond to the marvelous mercies of God by yielding these bodies by consecrating, by dedicating these bodies. And notice, God is not only calling on you and I to make sacrifices for the Lord. He's calling on us to be a living sacrifice to the Lord. And this is what we're seeing here. We discover that Romans 12 and verse one is involved in you and I yielding this body to the Lord. Now, what is the greatest obstacle standing in the way of a born-again follower of Jesus being involved in true and acceptable worship of God? Well, we would immediately say Satan and his minions, but that's not the primary obstacle for the born-again disciple. Maybe you're thinking it's this world system. Well, certainly those are major obstacles, but the greatest obstacle for a born-again believer is their own unredeemed flesh in which dwells no good thing. This mortal 
body, which is still uh, uh, still hanging on to this new man of this wicked flesh in which Paul says, dwell no good thing with all of its fallen propensities and inclinations and desires that still reside in this unredeemed flesh. That's where the daily battle is. For the New Testament consecration sacrifice of worship. We recall Paul's testimony of this ongoing battle a few chapters previous. And remember he was speaking as the great Apostle Paul inspired by the Holy Spirit to the church at Rome speaking as an extremely mature believer. But he says the God pleasing things that I desire to do sometimes I find I'm not doing. The things that I don't want to do, I find myself doing. He says, it's no longer I, but it's sin that dwells in this mortal body. I delight in the law of God according to the inner man, but I find another law working in my members. And he concludes that a chapter by saying, Oh, wretched man that I was before that day on the Damascus Road. No. He's speaking present tense. Oh, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from this body of death. And that little phrase you may already know, but that little phrase, this body of death was taken uh, from warfare in those days when a captured enemy soldier, a one who was captured in battle, they would sentence that soldier to die. What they would do is chain a corpse, an already expired corpse, to this living soldier. They would shackle that corpse to that soldier until the putrefaction of that corpse infected him. And he died a slow and torturous death. Every born again child of God is a new creation in Christ and yet I am still incarcerated in this body of death that I have to carry around. And it is this unredeemed humanity that is continually attempting to hinder my regenerate heart to worship God in spirit and in truth, to present my life to Him as a living, holy, and acceptable sacrifice. And that's exactly what God says we're responsible to do to yield this unredeemed body to the Lordship of Christ. In New Testament worship. To present this body to Him. Because this body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. And we're not our own. We've been bought at a price. Therefore we are to glorify Him in this call to worship. How? By glorifying Him where? In this what? Body and Spirit now belong to the Lord. What am I saying? There's a cost to be counted in New Testament worship. God wants something from you. 
He wants you to totally dedicate, consecrate, present the members of your body to him. Now, this is not the first time we see this word present in the epistle to the church at Rome. Notice chapter 6 and verse 13. Paul says, do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness for sin, but present yourself to God as being alive from the dead. Here it is again. And your members as instruments of righteousness to God. Same Greek word. If you've been born from above, you've been transferred out of the kingdom of grace, out of the kingdom of sin and death, and into the kingdom of grace and righteousness. But we have personal responsibilities in this new kingdom. The Word of God teaches us that, listen, grace is not only God's favor towards us, it is God's power toward us. To live in a manner that would be pleasing to him. So Paul says, listen, do not let sin reign where? In your mortal body. Don't present the members of your body and mind to your former master's sin, but make a decisive act of the will to place the totality of your members of your body at the disposal of the Lord. That's what he's saying. God is calling us to adorn the gospel in the manner in which we live in these mortal bodies so that we would reflect the gospel's life-transforming power in the way we live our lives. Yes, true worship begins in the heart, it's, it's authenticity in the heart. It's a heart boiling over in adoration for Jesus and allegiance to Jesus, but it will be expressed externally in the manner in which we live in these bodies. To magnify, what did we hear Sunday morning? That Christ be magnified in my what? Body. That Jesus be magnified in my body. That we would glorify God in these clay pots. Have you ever considered what a tremendous privilege it is that earth vessels, jars of clay like us can present this earthen vessel to God? To be used for His glory? A few weeks ago I had the privilege of preaching on the armor of God there at Fellowship in Steenhatchie. And what a precious opportunity that I can, can submit myself to the commander of the universe. That I could be in His army and the commander, the captain of the Lord of hosts has issued orders to every soldier in this room to yield the members of our body. All of our mental faculties, our emotional faculties, our volitional faculties at His disposal. Now, why does Paul say present your body? Well, it's because our body is the channel through which our heart 
and soul express worship. For example, your tongue. You know your tongue is the present revealer of your present practical condition before God? And your tongue can be used for godly purposes, but it can also be used for gossip, for slander, for character assassination, for all manner of backbiting. And God says we're to yield our tongue to be used for godly purposes. What are God's godly purposes? The exaltation of Christ. The edification of other followers of Christ. And the evangelism of the lost. How you doing so far? Oh, we need revival. Look, I, I studied this. God's dealing with me. What about your mind? Your mind is not your own. It's been bought at a price. Are you saturating your mind with the Word of God? Are you renovating your mind with the Word of God so that you can have the mind of Christ? Are you being transformed in your character by the renovating of your mind so that your life may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God in a spiritual act of worship to the Lord? Or are you saturating your mind with selfishness? Worldliness, sinfulness. Oh, we are to present our mind. What about our eyes? Have you made a covenant with your eyes? I will set no wicked thing before my eyes. That just about knocks off all the channels. Have you made a covenant? I will set no wicked thing before my eyes. I will not use my eyes in a wicked way. Are you asking the Lord to open your eyes that you may behold wondrous things from the Word of God? Are you asking the Lord uh, to help you to see other followers of Jesus with His eyes and see the lost people around you with His eyes of compassion? Present your body. Very practical, isn't it? After 11 chapters of profound doctrine, he gets real practical. What, what about your hands and your feet? They belong to the Lord. Are you using those feet to walk in paths of righteousness for Jesus' namesake? Are you using your hands to serve other people? What about your wealth and your possessions? Have you come and, uh, to the Lord with whatever God has allowed you to be a temporary steward of and say, Lord, I have open hearts. I have open hands. It all belongs to you. The earth is yours and the fullness thereof. I'm only a temporary steward of these things, so I want to worship you, Lord, by being a channel of blessing to others. And when I see a brother or sister in need, Lord, I'm not going to shut up my heart from them. I'm going to be a channel. Oh, we could go on and on, couldn't we? <laughs> and we want the Lord to use these 
three churches tonight in a mighty way. It is intimately connected with an unconditional surrender of our bodies to the Lord. I remind, remind, reminded you earlier in the week that the Old Testament word for worship was a word that described bowing down before a king and kissing the hand of that king. It literally described prostrating oneself before a sovereign ruler to express your adoration of the king and your allegiance to the king. And remember we talked for just a moment about that verse just before the Great Commission when the resurrected Lord appeared to the disciples and when they saw Him, they saw Him with the eyes of faith. They worshipped Him. And that was that same Old Testament concept of bowing down in reverence toward a king. Uh, that's used many times when Jesus was walking physically on the earth. That word for worship. But do you know after Jesus ascended to the right hand of God the Father, that particular word for worship disappears from the rest of the epistles. And throughout the epistles until the book of Revelation, the Greek word for worship now means to serve. And it's the same word that's found here, which is your spiritual service of worship. And that's the way it is for the rest of the book, uh, the Bible, until you get to the Revelation. And then in the last book, the book of Revelation, and you see the Lamb and the Lord on the throne in heaven, the word reverts back to that bowing down. But, from the ascension of Jesus until we come to the book of Revelation, the word for worship is the Greek word service. Joyfully, willfully serving the Lord, serving His bride, and serving the lost with the bad news and the good news. Until we see him in, Re in Revelation, we are to worship him by the consecration of our life in spiritual service. What are we saying? There's a cost to be counted. Lord, I joyfully and willingly place my life on the New Testament consecration altar of worship. Lord, I'm not coming to you so you can be my servant. I'm coming to you in worship that I might be your servant. And listen, the New Testament consecration sacrifice of worship is not just talking about doing this. It's not just considering the possibility of doing this. And may I say for many of our churches today, it's not only singing about doing this. No, it is actually consecrating your life to the Lord. Now Paul uses three adjectives that we want to look at uh, tonight and the rest of this time. Three 
adjectives. First of all, he says we are to be a living sacrifice. Now, in the Old Testament, there were three main types of sacrificial offerings. There was the sin offering for atonement for sin. There was the burnt offering for the consecration of the life of the worshiper. And there was the peace offering for fellowship with God. Now, which one is Paul speaking about here? Well, he's speaking about the burnt offering of the consecration sacrifice of the worshiper. But let's think about the sin offering for a moment. In the Old Testament economy, that worshiper would bring a sacrifice to the temple as a sin offering. He would bring an animal without blemish, without spot, and that animal would be slain. It would be sacrificed on the altar by the high priest as a sin offering to God on behalf of that worshiper. Of course, the blood of bulls and goats could never take away sin. It's only a temporary covering. And those animal sacrifices could never cleanse the conscience. All but in the fullness of time, the one who existed before time and exists above time stepped into time. And the great high priest offered himself as the Lamb of God. Amen? To put away the wrath of God that we deserve. To receive the curse of the law that you and I had broken. To bridge the infinite gulf between a thrice holy God and rebel sinners like you and I. And when the great high priest cried, it is finished. There was no more need for animal sacrifices. Because the great high priest, our Lord Jesus Christ, offered himself as the Lamb of God. Oh, but there's still a sacrifice that God demands of you. And he demands of me. And we see it here. We are to present ourselves out of hearts of adoration and allegiance. We are to present ourselves in this New Testament consecration sacrifice of worship. So we're thinking about the Old Testament again for a moment and about that burnt offering of consecration. You know that word in the Hebrews, the same word from which we get the word holocaust? in which Hitler and the Nazis burned alive millions of Jews and some Christians. It's the same word. And it is the burnt offering of consecration. The Old Testament priests made that consecration offering of a lamb on behalf of that worshiper. He slit the throat of the lamb, collected the blood of the lamb, and put it in a basin. And then when the lamb died, he placed it on the altar and it was utterly incinerated, totally consumed with fire. That's the picture here. Except for you and I, 
we place our lives on the New Testament consecration altar of worship so that the Holy Spirit may consume that sacrifice with his presence and his power. Not like the offering of animals anymore that were drugged to the altar to be consumed by fire. No, we're called to voluntarily, willingly yield ourselves as loving, living, breathing sacrifices to joyfully consecrate our lives to the Lord, to say from our hearts, Lord, you have redeemed me by your own blood. I don't belong to myself anymore. I belong to you. Oh, Lord, you held nothing back for the redemption of my soul. You, Father, delivered up your Son for me, so I hold nothing back. I yield myself. I present myself without reservation, without qualification. That's it. A living sacrifice. But there, there's another picture of that living sacrifice, and it is this. Uh, this is to be a continual sacrifice. This consecration sacrifice of worship is not a one-time event. It's to be a perpetual sacrifice, an ongoing reality in our lives. We're called to be continually presenting ourselves to the Lord, not only on Sunday, but every day of the week. Amen? Now, the only problem with these living sacrifices is they're continually tempted to crawl off the altar, aren't they? But God is calling us to be abidingly, continually offering ourselves in this New Testament consecration sacrifice of worship. I love the Great Commission when the Lord says, Ed, Lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the age. Now, if he has promised to be with me always, certainly I should continually consecrate my life to him always to be this abiding sacrifice, to live heartily as unto the Lord every day of the week so that this body may be used to express His glory, to fulfill His purposes, to extend His kingdom. That's it. We haven't been redeemed just to get a ticket to heaven and fire insurance from hell. We've been redeemed to submit our lives to him as living stones. Filled with living water. To testify of a living Savior. A living sacrifice. But I remind you, we're also to be a holy sacrifice. This is the will of God, your holiness, your sanctification. But now having been set free from sin, we've become slaves of God and we are having our fruit unto 
holiness and the end eternal life. Earlier in this epistle also, same chapter. That was Romans 6.22. Romans 6.19, second half of the verse says, So now present your members, here we are again, as slaves of righteousness for holiness. And we know these things, but I want to remind you, when we think about that word holy, we want to think of it in two ways. To be set apart from our flesh's plans and purposes, and to be set apart unto God's plans and purposes. It's not either or, it's both. Not only am I consecrating my life unto Him so that I'll be set apart from what my flesh's agendas would be, but purposefully set apart unto God's agendas. As He who has called you is holy, you also be holy in 35% of your conduct. Just seeing if you were awake. In all of your conduct because it is written be holy for I am holy imagine you're in ICU I hope it doesn't happen too soon but imagine you're in ICU you're very sick but your specialist he walks into the ICU room and you look up at him and you notice that he is in the prime of health and that physician says to you, I want you to be healthy as I am healthy. That's the picture. God has called us with a holy calling to track down, to follow after, to pursue a life that is not only set apart from our flesh, but set apart unto God. And the great Baptist preacher Charles Spurgeon as well said, if the Savior has not given you a love for holiness, he has done nothing in you of any saving character. Paul writes to the church at Corinth, 2 Corinthians 7.1, he says, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit perfecting, same word, holiness in the fear of the Lord. Now there are some preachers who would uh, they would interpret that as let us sit around in apathy, complacency, and negligence and wait for God to zap us with spiritual lightning and he'll cleanse us from all filthiness of the flesh and the spirit. But that's not what the text says. It says to born again believers, let us cleanse ourselves. Remember, grace is not a license. It's the liberty and power to live the way that Jesus would have us to live. We're responsible to cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and the spirit. We can't do it in our own power. We can only do it by the grace of God and the spirit of God, but we're still responsible to do it. This is why Paul said in Romans 8.13, but if by the spirit... You put 
to death the deeds of the flesh. Who's to put to death the deeds of the flesh? We are. We do it by the Spirit. But we're responsible to do it. The great uh, author John Owen said, you're responsible to kill sin. Or sin will be killing you. Ephesians 4 and verse 22, speaking to believers, put off concerning your former conduct the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lust. Robert Murray McShane has well said, Lord, make me as holy as a redeemed sinner can be. Are you willing to take the advice of that pitiful singer who attempted to sing a little while ago? Search me, O oh God. Reveal my heart. Expose my sin that it may be confessed. That's holiness. Set apart from our flesh and all of its agendas, but that's only part of it, and this is important. We are to be purposefully set apart under God's agendas. Romans 6, 19 again, so now present your members as slaves of righteousness to, same word, Holiness. That's not the negative aspect of practical holiness there. That's the positive aspect of practical holiness. We are to be out into this world serving our Lord's agendas. Not only set apart from our flesh's agendas, but purposefully set apart unto this great mission of man fishing and disciple making. That's a holy sacrifice. Set apart unto the master's use. 2 Timothy 2.21, we find the root word there again. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from the latter, he will be a vessel of honor, here's our word again, sanctified, set apart, listen, and useful for the master. Prepared for every good work. Again, it's Old Testament language there describing the Old Testament temple worship and those vessels that were used in Old Testament temple worship were only common vessels in and of themselves. There was nothing special about them until the high priest cleansed them and consecrated them for temple worship. Now they were called holy vessels. But we're in the New Testament era. We are the temple of God. But we're only earthen vessels in and of ourselves. There's nothing special about us at all. But if the great high priest has cleansed you, then he has consecrated you. And you are to be a holy vessel set apart under the Master's use. That's the picture. Present your body as a living sacrifice, holy 
in light of that blazing heart of adoration for the Lord and allegiance to the Lord, we are to exhibit that heart worship in this New Testament consecration, sacrifice of worship. Willing to be used, ready to be used, equipping ourselves to be used for this great mission. And when we are a living sacrifice, when we are a holy sacrifice, then that is an acceptable sacrifice. That's what the text says. When the Old Testament consecration offering was purified, sanctified, it was an acceptable sacrifice. When the Old Testament burnt offering of consecration was offered in the prescribed manner, offered with the right motive, it was a well-pleasing sacrifice to God. And as you and I lay our lives on the altar of the New Testament consecration sacrifice of worship, willingly disowning ourselves and delighting and surrendering ourselves to the Lord as we purposefully set our life apart from our flesh's agendas and set our life apart under God's agendas, committed to His Word, surrendered to His will, that is an acceptable sacrifice. I remind you of this powerful verse in Ephesians 5 in verse 2. It's a command to us. And walk in love as Christ also has loved us and has given Himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet smelling aroma. His sacrifice of atonement was a perfectly pleasing sacrifice. Amen? When he presented himself to the Father as the great high priest and the Lamb of God, as the offerer of the sacrifice and the offering itself, this was a perfectly sweet aroma to the Father. Oh, but if you're born again, you are a kingdom of priests to God. You are part of a royal priesthood and a holy nation. And 1 Peter 2 and verse 5 says to us, you also as living stones are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood for what purpose? To offer up sacrifices acceptable to God. Through Jesus Christ. Not in the sacrifice of atonement. That's finished. But in the New Testament. Consecration. Sacrifice. Of worship. Now brothers and sisters. We give gifts to the people whom we love. Don't we? We give gifts to those precious relatives. Or dear friends because we think they'll be pleased by the gift that we give them. Well, certainly if we love the Lord Jesus, we, could, we should give a gift to Him that is well-pleasing to Him, that is acceptable to Him. 
that brings pleasure to the heart of God. Well, what is that gift? Well, we've been listening to it tonight. This is the gift, the one and only acceptable sacrifice to give the totality of your life in worship. This is well-pleasing to the one who was pleased to crush his son on your behalf. This is well-pleasing to the one who was pleased to call you by his grace. And thus for, to live for anyone or anything else is not logical. And it's not loving. To live for anyone or anything else is not acceptable to God. We should be living in such a way that values His worth. Amen? And that is by living this sacrifice of worship. Hudson Taylor, in his later years, looked back on his life in China where he went alone. But by the end of his life, there were 800 churches, 200 missionaries, and thousands of converts. And certainly it was a life that was not lacking in the element of sacrifice. And yet he said this, describing his experience in China, I never made a sacrifice. For the compensations were so real and so lasting that I came to see that giving up is inevitably receiving when one is dealing heart to heart with God. Jim Elliot was right, wasn't he? He is no fool to give what he cannot keep in order to gain what he cannot lose. Well, we have one more evening. I pray the Lord is speaking to you. Tomorrow night we look at the uh, crisis of worship in the life of Job. Be very appropriate for all of us as we live in the midst of these crazy times. Love you. Let's pray together and then I'll turn it over to Brother Robin. Lord, Help this not be just words flowing out of my mouth. But Lord, I want this to be a living reality, a perpetual reality, to be this holy sacrifice, Lord, that is well-pleasing to you. We know without our mediator, without our intercessor, we could do nothing that's pleasing to you. The best uh, prayer we've ever prayed, but have enough sin in it to damn us to hell. But Lord, we do have a mediator. We do have an advocate, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. And Lord, energize us to break through all the garbage, all the junk that is going around us and help us to fix our hearts on you, the author and the finisher of our faith. And revive us in worship, Lord, 
so that each one of us, every one of our lives might be a living testimony for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Help us to worship you in authenticity of heart and in light of the way you reveal yourself in your scriptures. Revive us, Lord, in passionate worship of you. For Jesus' sake.